Welcome back to After the Idea, a podcast by Chicago Ideas. I'm Vanessa, your host. If you're new to the podcast or to Chicago Ideas, we're a platform for progress and we're for everyone. And this podcast exists to elevate the ideas, the initiatives, and the impact of changemakers and innovators in the city of Chicago and beyond. I am honored to welcome today's guest. If you've been anywhere near the internet this summer, then you've seen the result of this person's work. Sanjeev Gajiwala is the Senior Vice President of White Claw, your favorite summer beverage, if you're 21 and older, that is. Welcome, Sanjeev. Before we dive into all things White Claw and its undeniable success, tell us more about you, Chicagoan by choice or by birth? Kind of by birth and by choice. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and... uh, was born and raised out there. I went to school in Washington, D.C. and uh, lived in L.A. for a little while. But Chicago has been home and will be home. Amazing. I love it here. I love it here, too. I am a Chicagoan by choice. I've lived here for seven years, and I feel like it's going to be home for a while. So I hear that. So White Claw is owned by Mark Anthony Brands, which is the creator of another adult beverage you may be familiar with, Mike's Hard Lemonade. Mike's Hard is a partner of Chicago Ideas and helps us bring experiences to our Radical Creators group, which is a cohort in our member community comprised of impact-driven individuals destined to leave their mark on this city. You can learn more about that at chicagoideas.com slash radical dash creators. Sanjeev, tell us more about your time at Mike's Hard Lemonade leading up to when White Claw was put on the table. Yeah, sure. Uh, I've been at Mike's Hard Lemonade uh, now almost eight years, and it's been an unbelievable company to work for. I think what we do as a company and the reason I was attracted to be being there was that we're trying to be change agents in a beer category that's basically filled with yellow lager and the idea of flavors adding a lime to your drink. Um, you know, working for a company like Mike's that's been bringing flavor to life for, you know, over 40 years now around the world was really exciting. Yeah. And as we thought about, you know, launching White Claw in 2016, um, we felt like we were really onto something that was special. Uh, And I would say the last three or four years have just been an unbelievable experience. And we're overwhelmed and incredibly gratified by just the love that consumers have for the product. And I mean, an experience for you all as a team, but also as as us as consumers, like just watching it has been amazing. Speaking myself as a marketer and also as just a person who buys products. So I would say that over the past few years, and specifically for me this summer, I saw the explosion. Hard seltzers hit the scene and, and it feels like White Claw is leading that charge. What did you see? Like what void did you see in the market? How did this product come to be? Like when did those ideas start percolating? You know, we've had hard seltzers or we had had hard seltzer concepts in our innovation pipeline for a couple of years Interesting. when I started. But what we saw happening sort of three or four years ago is there were three sort of core, I, I like to think of them as human trends that had just really come together. You know, people were looking for reasons to celebrate and connect in person as a reaction to sort of the over social mediafication of the world. Um, there was a real focus on balance and wellness in everything you do, which, you know, you saw through the rise of sparkling water or RX Bar, which is another great Chicago brand yeah. and company, and people being attracted to things that they knew how they were made. And the last one is a trend that's just going on everywhere in the world, which is we want things to be more convenient and we want more variety. And White Claw for us was a way to bring those three trends together, specifically around alcohol beverage, which is just an unbelievable celebration beverage. It's what it exists for. And Having that come together in 2016, launching the brand, Chicago is actually the first city we we shipped cases to. It has been amazing. And and I think what's so cool about it is that 
the brand's actually grown 300% every year. It's oh my just gosh. when you start to grow 300% four years in a row, the number gets really yeah. big. And it's really cool. We have 60 share of the seltzer segment now. And there are places in the country where White Claw is bigger than Budweiser, Miller Lite, Corona. Oh, I believe it. Um, so it's a really it's a really transformative moment. Well, congratulations, first of all. And my next question is, I mean, I think when anyone puts, you know, a labor of love out into the world, they expect some sort of success or are hoping for some sort of success. Is what it's grown into 300% year after year, is that what you expected? Is it more? Is it different? Uh, it's faster. It's faster. Than we okay. thought it would grow. I think we always felt like there was potential for this to be really, really big. And it's been faster than we thought. And, you know, the thing I've been talking to with my wife at home or with my team is like, it's unbelievable to be a part of something like this. And for many people and myself included, I hope not, but it might be the biggest thing we ever do. And and that's really cool and to be in that moment, yeah. to be aware of that moment and then understand the responsibility that comes with that. And I love that you say you could acknowledge that because I don't know if it's easy to sit in a moment and acknowledge that this could be, this could be the highlight. And are we like sitting here and acknowledging and feeling what that means? That's so true. So this is a question that I had planned, but I think that you've kind of answered, but you could still give us a little bit of sort of the behind the scenes and the, and the journey. Was it a success right out the gate or did it take you some time to gain traction? You know, it really was a success right out of the gate. That's amazing. There were some failures and it. it's actually a really interesting story yeah. uh, in a way. I mean, interesting for me, probably boring for most people. But, you know, when we first put it in like liquor stores and grocery stores and we got in front of the right consumers, they loved it. Okay. And we got a little bit more excited about it than we should have at that time. And so... Uh, Sam's Club, a national retailer, was yeah. like, we want to put this in our stores. And so we said yes. But the reality was it wasn't penetrated enough for all of those consumers to want it. So it actually didn't succeed Interesting. Uh, in that first year in that one specific channel. But we saw enough of the success everywhere else to say, at some point, this is going to be big at Costco and Sam's. And that's this year. Is this the year that that happened? Yeah. Okay. And we were in Costco this year. That's so. awesome. Congratulations. I think that's learning because I think you can get really excited about success and then scale too soon. And I think a lot of brands deal with that. And recovering, I think, is the story there. I'm going to switch gears for just a moment because White Claw has been in the headlines a lot these past few weeks. Um, I'm going to read a headline that was published in the New York Times just last week. And that is, the memes are pouring the White Claw down your throat. Tell me first how that headline makes you feel. I think it takes away from what consumers are actually choosing to do. That's not what I expected you to say. And tell me more, like, why do you feel that way? It would be one thing if we were buying the memes and creating the memes and putting them in front of people and right. running Super Bowl ads with memes right. or whatever. We're not doing any of that. Uh, the consumers are choosing to drink the product. They're having so much fun with it that they're creating their own memes. And those memes are just spreading like yeah. wildfire. Yeah. And it's awesome to see, but the only people pouring White Claw down their throats are the Our people consumers. buying White Claw and right. then making memes about right. it. Right. That's so true. It leads me to my favorite quote of yours from that piece, which is that you're you're not interested in forcing yourself into the conversation. You're just happy that you're in it. You're happy that you are a part of the conversation that your consumers are having, you as in the brand. Yeah. I think you know one of the things for me is, as a social media user myself, I hate when a brand forces its way into what I'm doing online. I was going to ask you about and, that. I was going to ask you that. And I think it's really true. Like, I'm on Facebook for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. I'm on Instagram for a specific reason. And it's for sure, there are times when I want a brand to be a part of what I'm doing on social. If I'm on Instagram, 
I like seeing, you know, new sneakers or a restaurant or whatever. But at the same time, if I'm having a conversation, I don't need, you know, a beer brand to be pushing at me. I feel you. Or a car brand for that matter. Exactly. And it's like knowing your lane kind of. And that's what I was going to say. Do you feel like the lesson that's there in your quote and not forcing yourself as a brand into the conversation is something that could be applied broadly? Like if there are marketers listening to this, is this something that you think is a broad approach? Or do you think just given your industry and your product, not inserting yourself, it goes with that? No, I think this isn't my first time kind of going through that experience. I worked at Pabst Blue Ribbon before I was at Mike's. And we kind of did the same thing at PBR, which was to say... We aren't going to push ourselves in front of people, but if we see people doing interesting things that love us, we're going to support them. Yep. And that was before social media yep. was really big. And, and I think it worked then. And I, th- I still genuinely believe that brands have work to do to build awareness. And you should do that by buying advertising, by sampling your product, by doing PR. But brands don't have to constantly make noise. And a lot of times, I think, in social media... Uh, brands get caught in the trap of, I got to get into this conversation, get engagement, yes. so I have to make noise. Yeah. And and I think that's not always necessary. I hear that. And it's so funny that you say that because what I observe on social media and just like my own personal opinion is that I do see a lot of brands, this sort of meme culture takes over and your consumers are so excited and they're, they're having conversations on Twitter. All of a sudden, the brand releases something that's like inserting themselves into the conversation. And I won't lie, there are times where, okay, that was funny, but most times it feels a little... It's not genuine. There are great examples of it. You know, I think Oreo does a great job as, a, as you think about big brands. Like they do a great job of willing to take cultural stands, yep. willing to make a statement on social issues. And their social appeals to the group of consumers that are on social. Yeah. But there's for sure a ton of people that enjoy Oreos that don't necessarily want Oreos to make that statement. Exactly. And, exactly. and I think that that's a challenge that a brand has to make that choice on. And it's based on where you are in the brand's life cycle and, and you know what you think you need to get done as a marketer. Agreed. Did you expect sort of this viral meme sensation to happen when it did this summer? Like when you're seeing them pop up or you're like, man, these people are creative. I didn't I didn't see this coming. No, you know, it's it's unbelievable. There was one really big viral video that came out at the end of June. Yep. And that spawned a ton of stuff. We had seen a few things here and there before that, but that video really changed the trajectory, at least of the not only of the meme conversation, but the press coverage and, and a lot of the a lot of the activity and that's definitely taken us by surprise. Yeah. But it's great. I mean, the downside to that and the meme culture is we're an alcohol brand. Yeah. And we have to be really careful about representing overconsumption, underage consumption, irresponsible exactly. drinking. And a lot of the memes cross that line. And that's really hard and for where us. And where do you come in? Like, where, where do you come into that? And so our perspective is we're going to let the memes do yeah. what they need to do. A lot of them are going to cross the line. And the best way for us to do that responsibly and be respectful to the consumers to not be involved. And I think that that's the approach we're taking. And hopefully it's the one that's right. But, you know, a lot of the conversation I've been having with other colleagues is something like White Claw rarely happens in any category. Mm-hmm. There are very few things that blow up like this, that capture culture and seemingly come out of nowhere. I mean, I I have a hard time actually kind of thinking about in the last 20 years what that might be. Yeah. So we're kind of, in my mind, like a little bit uncharted. I think you're uncharted for sure. And I mean, I can only speak from my own experience, but I can remember over the years, like my first encounter with a white clown being like, wow, this is interesting to like now it's everywhere I am socially. It's there. You know, another article I read, you referred to a group hang, which I thought was great and so accurate. I've not been to a group hang in the summer of 2019 where white claw was not present. And that's facts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's it's been crazy. Amazing. Yeah. texting with my brother-in-law uh, who has yet to 
really embrace White Claw, which okay. is unfortunate. Yes. But, uh, you know, he's kind of in this, like, I love craft beer and I'm going to drink craft yeah. beer. And he was texting today where he's like, it's starting to get weird where I am the only person <laughs> not drinking a White Claw at the parties. Exactly. It's <laughs> so, so funny. It's cool. It's so funny. So I have another headline that I want to read that's different than the first one and I think is really important. The key to White Claw's surging popularity marketing to a post-gender world. And that was in the Washington Post. And my favorite quote from them from that article is, while the fizzy drink is getting a generation buzzed, it's also not so quietly busting a glass ceiling. Unlike so many of its boozy predecessors, the claw is equally beloved by men and women. It goes on to say that over the summer, White Claw has gone from a drink to a lifestyle, which I think we've touched upon a lot in this conversation. Um, This is the article where they quoted you saying, like, the group hang. Tell us more about the marketing strategy as kind of the antidote to what other alcohol beverages are doing in the space. Beer marketing falls pretty clearly into one bucket, which is guys at a football tailgate or in the basement watching the game. And there are no women to be seen in the ads unless they're the waitresses or... You know, they're dropping off a bowl of chips at the table. And wine marketing and other alcohol beverage marketing is always like a dinner party where women are preparing something in the kitchen. And and it's just sort of like, in my mind, a really antiquated way to look at the world. I do all the cooking in my house. Right. My husband does all the cooking in my house. Right. So I and I enjoy a glass of wine and I hang out with a lot of different people. And And it's not as political as like Me Too or being woke, but it's as you think about how masculinity and gender codes have changed Mm -hmm. so dramatically over the last five or six years, um, it's really hard to authentically come back and say to consumers, this is what it should look like. So when we started, we said, we just want to talk about our product. Right. And we know it fits in people's lives because people are drinking and people are celebrating. So how can we authentically show the celebration without focusing so much on what people look like and how they act, but focusing on what we think the product is? And that's been pretty consistent for us over the last three or four years. And I think it may not be overt right. and it may not look fun, but I think that consumers, when they see that, recognize that they're not seeing something that's going to turn them off right. or say this isn't for you. And I think we're being really choiceful about that. I think it's amazing. And I've seen your product in the hands of so many different people. And I think it's just a testament to you welcoming everyone into the experience. And it's experience focused. We're, uh, I'm, we're like the whole team is just so excited with how how people are responding. It's it's amazing. It's so cool. It's humbling. Yeah. So we've talked a bunch about this. I've seen it in articles. I've even said it today. White Claw is the drink of the summer. But summer is coming to a close. So when you developed White Claw, was it developed to be a summer drink? Or do you foresee it having seasonal staying power? Or are you okay with the seasonality of the beverage? The truth is people drink more in the summer than they do in the winter. Facts. That's just reality. Right. So there rarely is a drink of the winter or the drink <laughs> right. of the spring or a <laughs> right. drink of a fall. That's right? fair. It's, it's when people drink. Fourth of July, Memorial Day, and Labor Day are the three biggest celebration yep. weekends in the year. We do for sure see that the product and the brand and drink consumption will occur throughout the year. Mm-hmm. You go into fall, and there's perfect occasions for White Claw, whether it's football tailgates, Halloween parties, right. holiday gatherings. You get into the spring and spring break and you know ski vacations, and there's plenty of places for people to enjoy. The volume may not be as big, right. but that's just because you're not drinking as much, right. um, and there's not as many occasions. But... There's a ton of opportunity still, not only throughout the year, but even with consumers, I think less than 6% of U.S. households have actually, based on our data, have actually bought a White Claw. Interesting. A lot of your friends might have consumed it, yeah. but they probably had it at a party where one person bought yeah. it. So there's a huge opportunity for us to get more households to be buying yep. it as well. And I think that's going to change 
what we think about what White Claw can be and how big big is. Yeah, and that shows that there's still room for growth. You haven't capped your growth. 70% of U.S. households buy beer. Only 6% have bought White Claw. Wow. That's exciting. It That's is an exciting. exciting challenge. So, any repeat listeners here know that I always have to get the Chicago question into the narrative somehow. So, my question is how I'm going to frame it in this case is you're headquartered here in Chicago, you are a resident of Chicago. How do you think this city, because we're impacted so much by our environment and our surroundings, impacts the way you approach your work with this brand, impacts the way you go to market with the brand. Do you think that being a Chicagoan and being in you know, the Midwest, how does that impact White Claw, if at all? It's actually a great question. And the answer is a little bit cliche, but in the, reali- the reality is it's true. Yeah. Um, Chicago is real. Yeah. It is actually a really great cross-section of what happens in Everywhere. the country. Yep. You know, a lot of the people I talked to this year who were surprised about White Claw's growth were from L.A. and New York. Interesting. And my response was, trends don't always start in L.A. and yeah. New York. And White Claw was massive in Montana last year. Interesting. And that's great. And I think what Chicago does and how that influences us is we're not constantly in major media bubble or influencer or Hollywood or whatever it is that the rest of the world has. I think there's a diversity here of socioeconomic groups, of demographic groups, and there's a practicality about what we do and how we go about our business that I think helps me at least when I think about what we're doing be different. And, and it's, it's as simple as like if I lived in Manhattan, I'm probably not going to tailgates. Right. But I live in Chicago. If I lived in L.A., I probably don't understand what it's like to have fall turn to winter, turn to spring. And it and those just basic things, I think, help make Chicago great and a great spot for incubation. Yeah, that's so true. And it, it, the realness and I think, you know, a lot of other guests have put it as like global. So you feel parts of everything here and it can impact everything you do. So looking to the future. Is there anything you can share with us? You've told us about the opportunities for growth. Is there anything next for White Claw that we can look out for? Or are there any new products up your sleeve? Uh, There's always new products. (laughs) Um, uh, There's always new products. You know, I think that the real challenge for us right now, and there there are a couple articles on it, like we the growth has outpaced our capacity. Yeah, are you guys really? Is the, That's is, a real problem. Is that real? Because I'm like, is this real or is this like I a wish it, I wish it was fake. Interesting. But it, um, we've been allocating products since last September. So when you talk about exploding, it's been going on for about 12 months. Uh, we've quadrupled our capacity in the last 12 months, and it's not enough. Wow. So while there's no one that's like completely out of stock, right. we, we can't make enough. Right. So a little bit of that is like, how much new stuff are you going to launch when you can't even make the stuff right. you have? <laughs> Um, We've got a bunch of ideas, though. I do think, like we talked about earlier, I think I I saw this ridiculous stat where like less than a half a percent of Hispanic consumers have tried a White Claw. Less than a half a percent of people over 45 have tried a White Claw. So there's a lot of growth in just in in that. And our challenge, honestly, is to say we got to reach out to your point on being global. We got to reach out beyond that core group of, you know, 21 to 35 that have just carried the yes. brand for yeah. now. And and I think that's a great opportunity for us. We have a bunch of new stuff happening on Mike's, yep. which is cool. Mike's, this is a really funny story, but Mike's is turning 21 next year. Oh, that is hilarious. I hope, I'm, I'm excited for that campaign. Yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're working on a campaign for that right now, which I'm, I'm super, super excited about. Yeah. If you ask me, like, the thing I'm most excited about at the business right now is Mike's is turning 21. That's amazing. Um, that's incredible. So How exciting. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with that next yep. year and, and it'll be a fun project for us. And 
I think we're going to do some cool things. Well, I can't wait to see it. So I imagine you are in high demand with all this great success going around. So I appreciate you spending your afternoon with me uh, here to record the podcast. Where is the best, like how do folks keep up with White Claw? They just keep their eyes open. What's the next step for people now? Because I'm sure you have a bunch of fans that you're reaching people today probably. Yeah. I mean, our social is always a great place great. To, to see what's happening. And we'll talk about new products. You can find where to buy our stuff online. I think we're going to add a function next year where you can actually see which stores have it and what it costs, which will be really cool. That will be great. So that's probably the best place. But, you know, happy to always stop by the Radical Creators gang and tell them what's going on, too. exactly. And anyone can apply to join Radical Creators, and you can see more of White Claw and more of Sanjeev. (laughs) They let me in, so they'll let anyone in. (laughs) Well, thank you so, so much again for joining me. And to our listeners, um, don't forget, Chicago Ideas Week is approaching fast. We are taking over the city October 12th through 17th, and we are kicking off for the first time in our history on a Saturday night with a talk that you don't want to miss. We're going to be exploring the power of creativity and storytelling. We're going to feature the trailblazing filmmaker David Lynch and hometown heroes like Hebrew Brantley and Eve Ewing. Tickets to this program and to most in the week, as always, are just $15. See the full schedule of events and get yours today at chicagoideas.com. And keep up with us on social. Um, For all the happenings and news, we are at Chicago Ideas on Twitter and Instagram and at Chicago Ideas week on Facebook. And if you had fun today, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and tell all your friends to tune in. Till next time.